just what it is, but it looks like we're recording now. So, all right, let's start with, please share your name, who you are, and what you do. My name is Krishna Rajaraja. I'm the founder and CEO of Support Logic. Support Logic. So you've been around. We just met in the cafeteria there over lunch. How yeah. lucky for me to bump <laughs> into you. What? What? Tell me about your history. You said you've been around for about seven years, a mm -hmm. pioneer in the AI space, in customer care, yeah. uh, analyzing sentiment. But that's kind of what I overheard. Can you just break it down for me? Yeah, let me give you a little bit of a backstory about myself. So okay. <clears throat> I, my career started uh, in early 2000s. And I was a actually an operating system engineer, and a small startup at the time called VMware. <laughs> they hired me as their first support engineer in India. And the, because of my operating system knowledge, they hired me as uh, the first support engineer. When I joined, the support team was four people. I was the fifth person. The entire company was 80 people. So I helped them to grow the support function in India. I started VMware India. I was the first hired in India, so I started the VMware office. Uh, scaled the support function. What year was this? This is 2002. Okay. So I scaled the support and uh, set up the support function in Bangalore, set up the support function in Palo Alto, in Canada, in Ireland, so on and so forth. VMware grew so fast, our support team grew really, really fast. I was handling global escalations for VMware. And because of my engineering background, I became the bridge between VMware support and VMware product teams and engineering teams. So the genesis of support logic comes from my foundational experience, uh, learning the pain points of customers, reading discussion forums, being on customer calls, and then also understanding the technology aspect of it. So that's kind of the foundation for support logic. And and then that was 2002. Mm -hmm. But what happened between the time you identified these new challenges? Because they're sort of emergent challenges based on yeah. the scale, mm -hmm. right? So <clears throat> you're sort of seeing, I, I would say, is it fair to say you're not just identifying the pain points, but you're recognizing as them as they emerge into the marketplace? So back in 2002, <clears throat> uh, what I realized being an operating system engineer and engineering background, all of that, I realized that in order to be a great support engineer, it's not just your technical skills. You have to have troubleshooting skills, which is separate from technical skills. You also need to have soft skills, customer empathy. A lot of times when you're dealing with escalations, I was dealing with customer emotions more than the technical issue. And at the time when customers already escalated an issue, they don't trust you. They, Because they've spoken to three levels of support, so they don't trust you. They think that you don't know anything about the product. So the first thing is to establish that, calm them down, make them feel like you, you got it under control, you know your stuff. So a lot of that was very interesting experience for me. The second part was on the product and engineering side. Often people tend to overlook the actual pain points of customer and they build something which is not customer wants. And this is true for respect to what industries, whether it's services industry, whether it is a product company, uh, doesn't matter. Often the companies build something which customers don't necessarily want. The voice of the customer is buried in those conversations. So those were two were the foundational genesis for me. So I spent 10 years in VMware, went back to engineering. Then I quit VMware when they were a 12,000, 13,000 member company, joined a startup. And that startup, uh, I was there for three years as a founding engineer, which is founded by some VMware, I see, I see. VMware early employees. 
then I realized my passion was in support. And I always say that once you do support, you're a lifer. And you're, so I went back into, I wanted to go back to support industry, so I started my own company. So that that's bold. I mean, loving the job and loving the, the um, work is one thing, but taking the dive in to build a company. Yeah, honestly, when I was looking at support at the time, when I was looking at all the tooling out there, all the companies out there, this is, I'm talking about 2016 when Support Logic was founded. I was disappointed to find a lot of companies were treating support as a cost center and the tooling was built with the foundational assumption that support is a cost center. And I fundamentally had a different opinion, always seen customer service and support as a revenue center, not a cost center. And this is a very, uh, for some some support leaders, this is the thought they, they cannot process. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble processing, but I'm following you. And for me, like every interaction with a customer, whenever a customer comes to you with a problem, hidden behind the problem is an opportunity to do some more sales. It's an opportunity to identify a new product line that your companies have never uh, implemented. Let me give you an example. This is a famous story from Disney. So Disney park uh, visitors, a lot of them when they came, um, they were dressing up like uh, Disney characters. This is like way early, right? Yeah. So the people were supporting those folks on, on, on the ground. They realized and interviewed those folks like, why are you dressing up like Disney characters? Because they want to live and, and have the, um, be, you're in the Disney world, you want to live the Disney characters in the Disney world, right? That led to Disney forming a new line of business, which right now makes, I think, three to $4 billion line of business. This was something you learned from customer interaction. Okay, let me just stop you right there. Yeah. I try to tell people this all the time, and you just touched on it. I have to just co-sign, underline what you just said. So many people, when I talk to them about customer experience, they describe this space between the customer and the brand mm -hmm. and touch points, and they get into efficiencies, technologies. And what I have to tell people is no. Every customer wants to be the hero of their own story. Mm -hmm. The brand that enables that customer to be the hero of their own story, that's customer experience. Absolutely. I think this embodies, this example completely yes. embodies that. Yeah. Literally, like the other, you know, yeah. the other. Yeah, that's why I was like, All right. I got to jump in there. Yeah, I, I think the the, the miss, big miss in the industry, in the support industry, is that the CEOs have always treated the um, support as a, a cost center and, and put it in an operational mindset, right? We have to do it. Support is complementary. We have to do it. And therefore, let's get it done and as, as lean as possible, as low expense as possible. And then you're missing the big picture of revenue opportunities. Every interaction with your customer, if you impart a great experience, they become your brand ambassador. They become your marketing channel. Right, your customer acquisition costs drop. What a mouth spreads. I mean, these are all a lot of strategic benefits for CEOs. And I think only now, I would say in the last five years or so, uh, this realization has come to place. And of course, there were a lot of early innovators who had always thought support as a revenue center, but now we are seeing large and <clears throat> more and more companies are treating support as a revenue center and a strategic 
division of the company. It's not an operational center. Uh, it's not something isolated from rest of the company, put it into a call center, different building. No, you're missing valuable insights. And if you don't act on those insights, guess what? You're dead. It, it is interesting. I agree with you. I, I think that there has been a trend out conversations around support as something other than a strategic center. And I would agree with you, too, that in the last five years, you know, if anything, COVID mm-hmm. opened, eyes, opened people's eyes. How did COVID affect your vision and your mission and your marketplace? It, it just accelerated uh, our story to our customers. COVID absolutely accelerated our story. Um, so one of the things we do in our product is we find patterns in, in uh, keywords found in support tickets. Okay. During COVID time period, some of our customers asked us, hey, can you also spot COVID keywords and do a report on that? Okay. And the reason they did that is when a support um, call comes in, and if there is a COVID reference there, they want to prioritize those tickets. They want to give the best care possible for those customers impacted by COVID. So we started putting those keywords and we started producing dashboards and all of that. One of the fascinating things we found was the keywords, COVID keywords emerged in support tickets even before the COVID became a mainstream news. So when you look at the patterns, we actually saw a lot of tickets and a lot of calls had COVID references, but it was not in the news then. News was, I think, in the March time period or something. We saw cases as early as December had those keywords. So this shows the power of finding emerging trends. You can spot emerging trends in, in those issues. And if you spot them soon enough, you can actually prevent a lot of issues. Yeah, that's a good point. So tell me about your business. So you you did a different startup as an engineer, and then you took the leap of faith to create Mm-hmm. Support logic. Yeah. And what year did you take? So the company was founded in 2016. 2016. Yeah. And what what is that? What is what does it look like to start up a company? You know, you have software. You you have to spend a little time uh, in stealth mode developing it, or did you start with a big client and sort of customize? How did that? How did you? How were you birthed? So we were in a stealth mode for quite some time. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, first three years of the company, we didn't even have a website. Well, we had a website, but if you go there, you won't find anything. Okay. Uh, I was a big believer that uh, I told my first set of employees, when we don't have a com- we won't have a company logo until we have a customer and a paying customer. We didn't print business cards. We didn't have a logo. We didn't have a proper website. The focus was all on our customers. So the first few customers we landed in 2018, first two years was bootstrap, and uh, we were brainstorming all kind of ideas. Um, lots of good ideas we never implemented because we didn't find a market for it. And we landed on certain ideas which we never thought we'll build. This is another fascinating part of this journey because I come from the support yeah. background. I know the problem space fairly well. But even then, you get very surprised when you talk to customers. So yeah, that's kind of the journey for us. And your first, first customer. few customers was our first company uh, customer we closed was a public company. So, I mean, well, I think I love that you haven't gotten into the, the weeds on it, but I just am curious for my audience. You know, there's so many companies who are talk about solutions. Yeah. And, and I think everybody wants to point to revenue opportunities, improve customer lives, 
apply technology to mm -hmm. do this in a better way at scale, but you really do at least one thing better than everyone else. And what is that? Escalation prediction. Escalation prediction. Not only prediction, prevention. Right. So those go hand in hand, right? So you predict and well, then you prevent. They don't necessarily have to go hand in hand. So first of all, I'll tell you this. When we first implemented our escalation prediction stuff, uh, an AI model for it, uh, and I handle escalations for VMware, I always assume that escalations are unavoidable, unpredictable events. You really cannot predict it. This is going to happen in the wild. A lot of, we don't have a lot of data points on the wild. Why would you predict a customer is unhappy and will escalate all of a sudden? So first of all, we were not sure whether we can predict it with a great deal of accuracy. So first surprise was we predicted it. Then we thought, okay, maybe you are predicting the inevitable. What if you predict it but doesn't change the outcome? Right? You can predict tomorrow it's going to rain. Yeah, it's going to rain. You can't prevent the rain. Right? I mean, you can take an umbrella. That's that's the best you can do. So we thought the same. Like, what if you just predict but we can't prevent it? Then we actually built workflows based on our prediction. We we enabled swarming. We enabled lots of uh, workflows built in the product. And then, surprisingly, we saw a significant reduction in escalations. Then we thought, okay, this one customer, it's a fluke. Maybe it's not repeatable. Guess what? Every customer will reduce escalations. And every customer, the escalation reduction range usually is in the range of 30 to 60 percentage. 30% of escalations go away up to 60%. Because you predict? Because we predict and we do early warning and we allow people to swarm, we build workflows in our products, and then it prevents an escalation. I see, I see. It's sort of like... Uh... So it turns out what was the issue was, a lot of the escalations were avoidable escalations. A lot of the escalations were lack of prioritization from support engineers. A lot of issues were things overlooked and the things fall through the crack, yeah. and then suddenly it bubbles that up. That happens. Right, it happens and it's very difficult to do it at scale when you're getting thousands of tickets every every day or every month. So that's where we are, add value because we are finding all those cases that are bubbling up and before they escalate, we bring attention to the right support manager, to the support engineer, and we give you reasons and we give factors for that driving a case towards an escalation because we give reasons it becomes very actionable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you have some 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 sort of um, you have some strong brands that that you cut your teeth with some strong brands who helped you yeah. kind of um, uh, refine the the vision and your own idea and then yeah. the technology implementation. Is it how big a scale operation is your business now? So a uh, lot of uh, folks, when they, when they hear about us, uh, because we are, honestly in the past we've not done enough marketing for brand awareness, right? But when they see the customer names, yeah. they get blown away because we have some amazing, amazing, almost every one of our customers is a recognizable name. Okay. World-class brands uses us for protecting your brand experience. Salesforce is one of our biggest customers. Parashtask is a customer. 8x8 uh, is a customer. Gainside is a customer, uh, and the list goes on. WalkMe is a customer. So a lot of companies in the CX space, CX, uh, sorry, Nice is a customer. So a lot of companies in the CX space itself are using our technology for their own support. So that's and, always, always one of being our strongest suit. And how big is your organization? 
we're a very nimble company, not super big. We're 120 employees. Okay. And that's about it. But but a hundred I mean it's still a, a large number of engineers and, and smart people yeah. and, and you know it, you just have to have the the idea and the technological strength to 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 deliver the solution and it's about scale right yeah. and infrastructure and I love that covid um, I love that the the shift from of culture and at during the pandemic I'm not happy for the pandemic but I'm happy that it enabled so many people to be free from working in one big building, and I feel like a lot of that um, that expense has gone back out to good people. I think one one of the thing that uh, challenged COVID, uh, especially supporting, is uh, you in support you learn through osmosis. Oh yeah. Um, you you need that camaraderie. You you exchange notes. You exchange tips. Yeah. And everybody was sitting at home and in front of Zoom. One unhappy customer after unhappy customer, it's very stressful and no outlet, no place to learn. And um, it put a lot of, it create a lot of attrition for support organization always have high attrition. But COVID actually accelerated attrition. Uh, I see. And I was thinking about COVID in terms of executives and engineers, but you're right on the, on the call. And it impacts executives because you, your people are uh, uh, turning over. And then you have to bring new talent. You have to train them. How are you going to train them? Right? They're all remote. So it posed a lot of challenges. Right? I think our software became a big, big blessing for a lot of those customers. First of all, when you reduce escalations, it's 80-20 rule. Right? 80% of energy goes to 20% of your cases. And guess what? Most of the 20% of the cases are escalations. So when you free it up, it frees up a lot of time for training, for development. It also reduced customer, uh, not customer, not only customer frustration, but also employee frustrations. When you have less customers yelling at you, yeah, then more likely you will stay in the company. That's good. It's good for attrition. So, what's what's in, what's in the what's what's the future, the present, and the future look like? Oh, for we you? Are, we're just crashing the surface. We're doing a lot of stuff. Very exciting stuff. Anything so I talked about yeah, I talked about escalation prediction and prevention. We do case routing automatically based on skills. You automatically identify the skills from your previous interactions. We identify agents' availability, time zone, compatibility, blah, 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 and we route the cases automatically. So that's something we do using AI. We do automatic coaching and quality monitoring. So we are the only product right now, I believe, that's auto uh, quality analysis. So for every 100% of the cases, we do a QA score. Or AI ML will look at the interaction patterns or will compute this is the quality of this interaction looks like. It's, I see. it's 100% automated. You don't need to do manual sampling, surveys, and whatnot. Um, we also do, uh, we've done integration for response assist for agents to respond back, including uh, grammar assistance. So we partner with Grammarly. So we use our product. Grammarly is baked into the product. I saw them at a show just recently. I was yeah. like, why are they and then customer care? We do transcription. Uh, so if you're doing voice calls, sure, we sure, transcribe, sure. you store it automatically put in the text. We do tonality deduction, so we can say whether mm -hmm. you're assertive or non-assertive and give recommendations for it. And then we also do uh, troubleshooting assist. So you can actually, the supporting users can do slash commands and say insert troubleshooting steps, it'll automatically insert the troubleshooting steps. Things of that nature. So lots and lots of very exciting stuff. And how much of that is already available and what's new? Because my audience wants to know what's coming next. So 
almost everything that I've said is out there right now. Okay. It's it's. Uh, what's next? What's next? Okay, so this is, may not be super exciting or sexy functionality, but it's very critical for large companies. We have the ability to connect into multiple ticketing systems and provide a unified dashboard. Okay. And this is big challenge sure, for sure. large companies. It's a big challenge for a lot of people. So you could have 15 different ticketing systems. Yep. And we a lot of all them. Do. And your support engineers can work on those ticketing systems. We'll federate the data. We give a unified dashboard. Gotcha. That's one thing we are rolling out second half of this year. We're also loading out language translation. So any language, transparent, bi-directional translation. So you can hire a support engineer in, I don't know, South America doing Japanese uh, support issues. Gotcha. And as a CEO, what are you looking at as, as the big technology trends? coming up in this next year of course ai what besides ai what are you paying attention to i think uh, as a human being not as like in the context of this but like just what are you looking at i think it's tied to ai so what is what's going to happen with ai is uh with a lot of automation the role of support is going to elevate into a different uh different standard mm -hmm. right again the vision we always said is support is a revenue center AI is going to make support a revenue center because the automation, the break fix is going to be handled by AI. Yeah, I think when you're you, right about that. So most recent example I just read today morning was that I think this was IKEA. IKEA implemented uh, AI for automation, freed up 1,800 support engineers. And now these 1,800 support engineers, they're leveraging them as interior designers, consulting, uh, consultants. So now suddenly there's a value of lift, mm -hmm. right? You're not doing break fix stuff. Now these guys have done so much expertise because they're in support. Now they can provide value to some of our customers. That's the and way. I think this is what is going to happen in the industry. I think you're right about that. Well, is there anything else we should talk about before we wrap up this edition of the podcast? I appreciate you spending some time randomly just to talk to me <laughs> and tell me what's on your mind. Um, I think we covered a good ground. I mean, this topic is vast. We can we can talk all day long, but I think we covered good ground. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Let me let me pronounce your name again. You you are Krishna Raj Raja. Krishna Raj Raja, CEO of Support Logic. Thank you so yeah. much. Pleasure is mine.